My name is Lou Beckett, and I wrote the audio play, We Can't Be. It's the story of two young women who decide their town, Cheltenham, needs a statue to an accomplished woman. The town already has a multitude of, as they would say, nymphettes, or tightly clad, nubile young females. These are the 32 caryatids, inspired by the classical Greek sculptures that line some of the prominent streets in the town. Today, I am interviewing Flo Klukas, a town councillor in the real town of Cheltenham that inspired the play. Cheltenham is in Gloucestershire, England. Flo, when I started um, researching this play, I telephoned you without any knowledge of your background. I can hardly believe my luck that by chance I called a councillor with a perfect background. Can you just tell us a little about your own work in this area? I've been extraordinarily privileged in that uh, in Liverpool, where I was uh, a councillor, cabinet member, deputy leader at one point, and fortunately responsible for all EU funding, um, I actually came across a number of women who had been really remarkable and had not been remembered at all. And I decided at that stage that we were going to have a memorial hopefully to three of them, but at the end of my time as a councillor there when I retired, uh, we ended up with just one, but at least I had one. And that was the first statue of a woman ever in St George's Hall, which is a grade one listed building in Liverpool. And all of the other people in that hall for, for whom there are statues are, shall I say, um, privileged men, generally of the upper classes. And the one I chose to go in there was a lady called Kitty Wilkinson, who was incredible, a remarkable woman. And she was born in Northern Ireland. She was Unitarian by religion, so she wasn't Catholic. She wasn't Jewish. And her father had been in the army. And they came to Liverpool by ship in the uh, 17... 90s. The ship was shipwrecked and her father was killed, uh, one of her siblings, a young baby, was killed and she, her mother and younger brother survived. They ended up on the shore in Liverpool with nothing. Everything that was on the ship had gone. They were given a home by a blind elderly lady in Birkenhead, which is on the other side of the river from Liverpool. And Kitty was given some schooling, and at the age of 12, she was sent as an apprentice to Manchester to a, a cotton factory. To cut a very long story short, she came back to, married, came back to Liverpool, and lived in the heart of the city, in what today we would describe as uh, poor quality housing, being best at it. Um, she was there uh, and she was a laundress and she had uh, a boiler in her home and the boiler was one of the only ones in the neighborhood then in 1832 the great cholera epidemic hit and she believed the only way to stop it spreading was for cleanliness in homes and in clothing and she opened her house to all her neighbors to use her boiler to wash their clothing. But she insisted 
They could only wear the clothing when it had dried, not while it was damp. The result was that in her neighbourhood, very few people got cholera. However, in the city as a whole, lots of people did, and there were many orphans. And though she had a very small house, she took in a couple of orphans and began to teach them to read. She had a number approach her to help care for orphans, and she opened a school in the attic of her house where she taught them. And to cut a very long story short, a very rich family in Liverpool uh, heard of her and decided she was right and began with her the, the fight for clean water, which they won, the fight for public laundries, which they won, and she became the manager of the first public laundry in the city. Um, she became known to the great and good, and indeed Queen Victoria sent her a silver tea service to thank her for her work. Medical profession didn't like it, mind you. They thought that it was all nonsense. Um, but then when they began to see the statistics, they realised that she was right and they were wrong, that cleanliness, clean water, the ability to wash clothing and wash homes made a big difference. And I wanted a statue to her. She was a working-class woman who was quite remarkable. So we have the statue there in St George's Hall that was erected in 2012. And... Uh, we actually have a, uh, a video and some uh, literature that children in schools can learn about Kitty and the fact that she had absolutely nothing when she started, but actually she changed the world. And women like that for me are just remarkable. Um, so I wanted that to be a commemoration. And here in Cheltenham, there's a lady called uh, Josephine Butler, was here in about the same time. Uh, and she was the wife of a local vicar. Uh, she was, um, again, remarkable because she was one of the few women in Cheltenham who actually had issues with the, with the American Civil War. She backed the North rather than the South, though people here tended to back the South. And she would look for uniforms for people and help raise money for them. And when the war was over, she then looked at what was happening with women and decided that she didn't want children able to marry at the age of, well, 12. She didn't want girls and young boys sold into brothels because their family couldn't feed them. And she began then to fight against that. And in the 1880s, uh, she managed to get a movement going that was strong enough to provide enough votes in the House of Commons to change the law. Now remember, at that time, women had no vote. Women could not speak. The wife of a vicar to say that uh, and to stand up in public and do that, I think was, again, remarkable. And I would have loved to have had a memorial to her, a statue to her here in Cheltenham. I think actually that tells its own story as indeed does the story of Kitty Wilkinson. Just to circle back a bit, could you talk briefly about your own role in getting that statue built? Because the play here is about how do these two young women go about trying to get a statue built in Cheltenham? And is there anything to learn from your experience in Liverpool to get the statue to Kitty Wilkinson built? Um, well, getting statues in grade one buildings is not the easiest thing to do. 
And so what I did was set up a group, and that group uh, was of women, not councillors, I was the only councillor on it, um, who would examine what could be done. We then uh, needed to have an, an estimate of how much it would cost, and the cost was, in those days, deemed to be about £150,000. Um, now, obviously, councils don't have that kind of money. Um, but what we were able to do was to uh, raise money through the council, and that money was um, it came through the council and was confirmed before I left office, and therefore we had the cash. Uh, we had a great architect, um, and we also had a great uh, sculptor who did the statue for us. And for me, it actually tells the whole story. Um, it is completely different from the statues that are there. And because I was able to get the council to agree to it, the statue, I actually signed, I signed the contract just before I finished. So the council was committed to that contract. I think these days there might be a bit of a hoo-ha about that, but in those days I signed the contract I was leaving anyway, so this was some good I could finish with. And um, I was delighted when the work began, as I say, 2012, and then the statue took to get in, because we had to get all the, the permissions from English Heritage and so on, and they were very good also, they helped. And because we were able to do that, um, and we had a group there, that were actually able to take this through to the commissioning and so on. Um, it was a great thing to be able to do. And uh, I thank those people who were on there. And I thank the officials who helped me and the officers of the council who were also keen to have this done when I told them the story. And it was great to do. It's a marvelous accomplishment to achieve such a thing. And these two young women wanted to achieve, want to achieve this same thing in Cheltenham. In these troubled economic times we're living in, if you were advising these two young women on what needed to be done to get such a statue built to honor accomplished women in Cheltenham, what advice would you give them? The first thing I'd do is to find out who it is you want to commemorate. For me, it would be Josephine Butler because she did such a lot across a whole series of aspects of life. And because in those days, the 1860s, think about that, she fought for the rights of our black fellow citizens and against slavery. And I think that's tremendous. And if I was doing it myself now, I would say the first thing to do is bring together a small group, look at how much uh, or what kind of commemoration you want. If it's a statue, and actually I'm a big believer in statues because when you pass them in the street, a child will say to its parent or carer, who's that? What did they do? And you begin to get the message out. You begin to get the message across. I know some people say, oh no, statues are old fashioned. Actually, no, they're not. And they're there and they tell the story and they tell the story forever, not just for a day. And so I would say, get a group together. Um, put forward, I would like to see a, a petition to commemorate Josephine Butler and for that I would contact the Boys College because the Boys College um, was the, the college that uh, her husband um, worked at, he was uh, deputy head there and my bet is that we would have help from them and I would also 
and contact the Josephine Butler Society and see if we could raise some cash through them. And if we could do that, I would come to the council and say, hey you, we want this, what are you going to do to help? That's what I'd do. And I tell you what, I'd be there at their side and we would see if we could do something to make things happen. Wonderful detailed map of what to do, so thank you for that. The play quotes a Cheltenham City Councillor is saying, but there aren't any accomplished women who came from Cheltenham. <laughs> How much support, and clearly attitudes like that, sadly, is in the example you've just given of Josephine Butler, how amazing she was to overcome during, I mean, that 1860, of course, was, you know, we're talking the Civil War period in America, so an amazing, strong, and important stance to take. How much support do you think there would be for, whether it be Josephine Butler or any of the other candidates in Cheltenham, from the council and from, really, the town as a whole? I, th I think there are, there are a couple of issues here. I think the first issue is that people don't know their own town's history. They think they do. Oh yes, we've got the promenade. Oh yes, we've got we've got we've got the baths. Oh yes, we've got the race course. Oh yes, we've got the Cheltenham Town Football Club. Yeah, and we've got you know we've got the theatre. They actually don't know. And one of the problems that you have when you're seeking to change the opinion of people is getting that message out. So I think in Cheltenham, perhaps we need to be contacting things like women's organisations to contact our colleges, to contact our schools, to contact um, our other organisations like the university and say, hey, what are you going to do to help us do this? Don't you think this is worthwhile in today's climate that we actually begin the process of telling people who in their town made a difference? And I think if we begin to do that, all to the good, it would be great. You know, people have talked about Dorothea Beale and doing something to her. She and Josephine Butler actually corresponded. They weren't what I'd call the best of friends, but they knew each other. And, you know, you can imagine, can't you? Two women, okay, one who was involved in educational privilege and education, fine. And the other who was involved in saying, these are the underprivileged and we have to change the way things are for them. And imagine putting those two together and saying, you know what, there are two things we can do here. We can educate and we can change, and why don't we do both? In the play itself, one of the young women is from West Sumatra in Indonesia, which is a matriarchal society. Wealth is passed from generation to generation through the mother, not through the father. And she attends Cheltenham Ladies College, and her ally in this was a scholarship student who comes from a council estate in Cheltenham. The play tries to reflect those class differences. I mean, arguably, having two people who reflect perhaps both sides of Cheltenham would be a strong point in getting such a statue built. Do you have any views on that? Uh, I think that's absolutely right. And can I say that I've worked with Cheltenham Ladies College um, and I have nothing but the highest praise for, for Eve Jardine. She is tremendous. She works so hard, but she doesn't just work for the students at the college. One of the things that she does is try to help those underprivileged in Cheltenham, those who are not able to swim when they want to, not able to go and see things when they want to. If we need help with something, I can ask her. She can be approached. 
and I think that's a tremendous thing for any head teacher. Um, and indeed, I would say that across Cheltenham, the Cheltenham Education Partnership does a huge job in helping those youngsters, those children who perhaps don't have a voice, but also shares that with those children who do, and so they learn from each other. And I think that that's great as well, and I'm, I say I'm full of admiration for the Education Partnership, for the work done at secondary level and at primary level by all of our schools because of the work that they do. And, you know, if, if, if we have two people like that who are going to lead this charge, then good on them, let's do this, let's make it happen. In the play, one of the characters feels, and you've already commented on this, but I'd just be interested in your views on the broader point, that she thinks, as she says, statues are so last century, and that the way to approach this in contemporary society would be to have, as you know, all of the things available now, social media, working through schools, working through organizations. And in the play, they resolve it by saying, and obviously both of these can be done. Um, Again, is this something that as a council has been looked at in terms of how to honor women, regardless of whether it's a statue or whether it's other forms of giving serious consideration to telling people stories from history, important stories? Um, It has been looked at by the Public Art Panel um, and indeed uh, I reached an agreement to put aside some money from what's called Section 106 to pay for uh, a statue. It's not enough unfortunately so we need more. Um, But the, the, the truth is that You can look at social media and it's gone. You can look on the internet and yes, you will read it for five minutes and it's gone. You walk down a street, you see something that's been placed there to make an impact and you think, well, who the hell's that? What the hell are they doing here? You know, why why put up a statue to some... And then you go and you look at the little bit on the bottom and you think, oh, I didn't know that. And every time you pass that statue going down the street, you will remember it. It's not something that's fleeting. You will remember it. And that's the great thing that that a physical commemoration does. I'll give you one example. Um, And it's nothing to do with women. But in the, well actually there is one woman involved. In in the last war, there was uh, a ship that was sent from Liverpool to Canada containing uh, Italian Um, citizens who had lived in this country, indeed some of them had uh, sons and daughters in the armed forces, but they were deemed to be Italians and therefore potential enemies. And they were put on a ship together with the Welsh Guards, who were overseeing them and making sure there was no trouble on the ship. And they got as far as Donegal, and the ship, the Arundora Star, was sunk by a German U-boat. And Most of the people on that ship died, and they're buried in Donegal. And because the British government hadn't had a particular emblem on that ship saying these are effectively prisoners of war, um, the German U-boat thought it had the right to sink the ship. And therefore there was never a commemoration, never a memorial. And I was approached by the then Honorary Italian Consul um, for Merseyside, 
Nunzia Bertali, wonderful woman. And she told me this story and she said, can we do something? And I said, yes, what do you want to do? She said, we'd like to have a memorial. And I said, okay. So what I was able to do was to put a memorial on the seawall in Liverpool. So when you go down to the docks, when you go down to the pier head, you will see this. And that was, would have been the last vision of England that those people on the ship would have had. And so I thought that was an appropriate place for it. What I did not expect was that the Emilia Romana region would decide that because people from the, sh from the ship came from there, and the Alpini, who were the Italian uh, Alpine soldiers, they decided they wanted to be involved. Oh, and by the way, the Canadian ambassador wanted to be involved, and actually the German ambassador. And so we ended up with all of these organisations and people deciding they wanted to be involved. And what we were able to do, still brings tears to my eyes actually, on a particular day in Liverpool, we were able to have the Maritime Museum launch a book that had been written by one of the Italian people who live in Liverpool about the ship and the people on it. We had a meal sent over by Emilio Romana region for all those who attended. We had the Cardinal Archbishops from Scotland and from Westminster come, and they took part in a service at the Anglican Church of Our Lady and St Nicholas at the Pierhead. And then we had the Alpini, and we had the relatives of those who died, and we had some Italian um, politicians arrived. And there's one lady I will never forget, Geraldine. She was 14, her father was a, a violinist at the BBC Symphony Orchestra. And she said goodbye to him and went to school. And when she came back, he'd gone. And he'd been arrested and sent to Liverpool. And he was put on the ship. And she never saw him again. Didn't know where his body was. Had no mechanism for commemorating it. And she wrote me a letter afterwards saying that this meant everything to her. She was 80 odd years old at the time because it made her realize that she had somewhere her father was remembered. And we were able to introduce one of the few remaining survivors, Italian survivors of the, of the uh, sinking with one of the only Welsh guards who was on the ship and we brought them together in Liverpool and they hugged and it was the most wonderful expression of togetherness I'm going to use the word forgiveness mm. but of recognition that sometimes wrongs can be committed by mistake and you just need to recognize that well I want to thank you Flo, for sharing with us today these marvelous experiences, both your tribute to Kitty Wilkinson in Liverpool and this story that you've just told. I mean, these are both wonderful stories that share, um, you know, the importance of giving tribute and that people do come together, people do work together to make things happen. 
to honor people who have gone before and made such a difference in our lives today. You know, whether it be Josephine Butler, and I know Josephine Butler had many contributions on, on multiple issues um, throughout her lifetime, as did Kitty Wilkinson. So thank you for helping bring these stories to life, and hopefully we can something can happen to provide tribute to Josephine Butler in Cheltenham. Well, I, I hope so, because the last thing that I'm going to say goes back to the, the Italian commemoration. And one of the great things that we were able to do was to take people on a, a Mersey ferry boat out to the, the bar where the city effectively meets the sea. And we had a service, and those people who'd lost family were able to put a wreath in the water. And the feeling that that gave mm. to all of those people was one of closure. And so, although a statue doesn't give closure, remembering can help enormously. And so I hope that we will do this for Josephine, for Dorothea Beale, for others who actually gave something special to Cheltenham. They weren't just here. And it wasn't just to the rich and the famous, it was to the ordinary folk. And I just think that would be so, so good to be able to pass a commemoration that said, this was done here by a, a woman at a time when women had silent voices. And she didn't. She spoke and made a difference. What a great thing that would be. Well, and hopefully inspire many future generations to feel that they had the ability to do things in a similar sort of way. I'm going to ask you another quick question on Josephine Butler. She made a contribution in so many ways. If you wouldn't mind just saying you know, one or two sentences on that before we finish. One of the great things that Josephine Butler did was to stop women being arrested for simply standing on the street. The view of the time was that if you were standing on a street, you were a prostitute and therefore the police had the right to arrest you, take you to the local police station, physically examine you to ensure you didn't have venereal disease, and if there was any doubt, you were put in a cell. And she thought that was an absolute abomination and fought against it. And thanks to what she did and the people who backed her, including members of parliament, it was stopped. But imagine how those women might have felt standing outside a shop being clobbered by a police officer, taken to a police station, have a doctor they didn't know examine them, be told we're examining you in case you've got venereal disease, when they were just ordinary women standing there, possibly waiting for a friend, possibly going to do some shopping. That's how women were treated, and it has to stop. Yes, now too. <laughs>